is always looking for those that are willing to gather together in Jesus' name and to come for blessings and for promises and for plans. Two weeks from tonight, I believe, will be our next blood covenant and, um, uh, and our next um, uh, Lord's Supper night. So you need to remember that if you would like for us to be able to send it out to you so you can participate online with us for the Facebook family. If you'd like for me to do that, I can send that out to you or I can get it to you in some way. So let me know as soon as possible. Let's all stand as we begin to offer up this beautiful song, This World is Not My Home. This world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. The angels beckon me from heaven's open door and i can't feel at home in this world anymore oh lord you know i have no friend like you if heaven's not my home then lord what will i do the angels beckon me from heaven's open door and i can't feel at home in this world anymore just up in glory land we'll live eternally the saints on every hand will be shouting victory their songs of sweetest praise drift back from heaven's shore and i can't feel at home in this world anymore oh lord you know i have no friend like you if heaven's not my home then lord what will i do those angels beckon me from heaven's open door and i can't feel at home in this world anymore clap your hands all you people y'all may be seated Good evening, everyone. I'm going to read tonight on Lamentations, chapter 3, and I'm going to go 22, 23, and 24. Amen. And this is in the English Standard Version. It says, The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. Amen. They're new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Amen. And verse 24 says, The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in Him. Father, we thank You for this day that You've given us, Lord, that one more day, oh, Your steadfast love that never ceases has been with us, Father. We thank You, Lord, that Your faithfulness, Father God, is great in our lives. Father, tonight we thank You for gathering together. Father, we thank you for the word that will be spoken. We thank you, Father God, for all the love and mercy you show us. It is unspeakably full in our lives, Father. And we praise you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Let's offer up that beautiful song that says, uh, says Jesus came into my heart. What a wonderful change in my life has been wrought since Jesus came into my heart. I have light in my soul.
for which long I had sought since Jesus came into my heart. Since Jesus came into my heart. Since Jesus came into my heart. Floods of joy over my soul like the sea billows roll. Since Jesus came into my heart. How many of y'all need more joy tonight? You're in the right place because we're at the throne of God. We're at the throne of God. Joy flows out from the throne of God to us tonight. Last verse. I shall go there to dwell in that city I know since Jesus came into my heart. And I'm happy, so happy as onward I go since Jesus came into my heart. Since Jesus came into my heart. Since Jesus came into my heart. Floods of joy for my soul like the sea billows roll. Since Jesus came into my heart. Would you bow with me in prayer? Father, we want joy. Joy will lift us up above all the circumstances of this world. Sometimes it becomes so easy for the difficulties that we live with, the impossibilities that we deal with, for the darkness that we see everywhere, for it becomes difficult for us to know that all we have to do is to give ourselves because you want out of our bellies, out of the very depths of who we are, to flow rivers of living water. And if living water is flowing out of us, we must have joy. Restore unto us the joy of your salvation. Amen? Good. We're going to sing that song, Blessed Be the Lord God Almighty. Do we have the words to that song? There we go. Blessed Be the Lord God Almighty. Is that two pages? That's two pages. 62. Blessed be. Father in heaven, how we love you. We lift your name in all the earth. May your kingdom be established in our praises As your people declare your mighty works Blessed be the Lord God Almighty Who was and is and is to come Blessed be the Lord God Almighty who reigns forever from the beginning one more time more father in heaven how we love you we lift your name in all the earth may your kingdom be established in our praises as your people declare your mighty works blessed be the lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come, blessed be the Lord God Almighty, who reigns forevermore.
Let's sing that song that says, Shout to the Lord. Do you know what today is among the Jews? This is their remembrance of the Holocaust. They remember it because they believe that their God's going to do what he promised he would do. That he would never let a day like that come again. Do you know what they've been doing? They've been calling out the nations around the world. Where those nations are allowing a genocide to happen in there. I want you to know something. There's a kind of a genocide going on in America right now. I don't have to call it out. Most of y'all can identify at least one of the about three or four different things that are happening. It's not about any particular people. It's against all people. To steal the joy of salvation. To take away the hope that people have. To tell us that we really don't, don't have any right to the way that we think. We need to really cry out to God. That God, let's offer up this beautiful song, Shout to the Lord. My Jesus, my Savior, Lord, there is none like you. All of my days, I want to praise the wonders of your mighty love. My comfort, Let every breath, all that I am, never cease to worship you. Shout to the Lord, all the earth, let us sing. Power and majesty, praise to the King. Mountains bow down and the seas will roar at the sound of your name. I sing for joy at the work of your hands. Forever I'll love you, forever I'll stand. Nothing compares to the promise I have in you. We're going to sing it one more time. When we get down to the nothing compares, we're going to do it three times in a row, okay? My Jesus, my Savior, Lord, there is none like you. All of my days, I want to praise the wonders of your mighty love. My comfort, my shelter, power of refuge and strength. Let every breath, all that I am, Never cease to worship you. Shout to the Lord, all the earth, let us sing. Power and majesty, praise to the King. Mountains bow down and the seas will roar at the sound of your name. I sing for joy at the work of your hands. Forever I'll love you, forever I'll stand. Nothing compares to the promise I have in. Nothing compares to the promise I have in. Nothing compares to the promise I have in you. I'm telling you, all of the promises of God are yea and amen in Jesus. So whenever I'm talking about the promise I have in Him, that's all the promises of God. 
Let's offer up my tribute this evening. How can I say thanks for the things you have done for me? Things so undeserved, yet you gave to prove your love for me. The voices of a million angels could not express my gratitude all that I am or ever hope to be I owe it all to thee to God be the glory to God be the glory Just let me live my life. Let it be pleasing, Lord, to Thee. And if I gain any praise, let it go to Calvary. With Your blood, You have saved. Your power, you have raised me to God. Be the glory for the things He has done. Thank you, God. I'm glad that you all love coming before the throne of God and praising. And with this, will be the last song we're going to do this evening. I've got a song that have, I have found a new verse to. You all know that song that says, um, it, it says, um, let's see, you are beautiful beyond description. I have found a second verse. We're not going to sing that one tonight, but we're, but we're going to do that very soon. And I, I just, time-wise, I'm wanting to, to give you all a chance to get home before it gets any darker. I've got to tell you about something that happened to me on Monday night. I got home, on Monday I was tired. Y'all don't know that I kind of have a Monday hangover. I'll just admit it to you. It's not because I drink too much. It's just the way it is on Monday. And I decided I probably really need to get out and ride my bicycle a little bit. And I waited till it was almost dark and the sun was almost down. And I, because I, I kept thinking, well, I don't know if I really feel that good to go do it. And so I went out almost to the last second. And the sun stayed up for me able to get most of it done. And I thought, well, I'll just go back through my neighborhood and ride my bicycle. When the sun went down. It was like I had no idea where I was anymore. I've always prided myself. You better watch out about your pride. You know what they say about pride? It goes before a fall. I had no idea 
where north, east, south, or west was. I got off on some roads that I could not recognize anything about them. I got on a dead-end street and had to turn around. And when I, once I started going back the other direction, I didn't have any idea what was going on. Now, I want you to know something. That's the way people are that don't know Jesus that are alive in America today. They are lost. They are totally lost. So we're going to get into the message this evening and, and look at it because we want to see Jesus. Jesus is worthy of being seen. In chapter 1 of Revelation, we saw Jesus as the Ancient of Days. The God, in, in Isaiah 46, verse 9, it says, For I am God, there is not another like me. And we see that Jesus, we see that there's not anybody like him in the first chapter. And he says, I am God, there's not another that is like me. For I have, I have told the end of things from the beginning of things. Now I want you to know something. My life has a course that must be traveled on. There are some things that I take on as burdens in this life. I have a, a brother who's very dear for me. And in the very difficult times of his life, he had to take on some very difficult, heavy burdens for several long years. And he just about wasted himself mentally, emotionally, and physically because he just didn't know that he could get help from anywhere else. The body of Christ needs to place where needs to know that we're in a place where we can get help. Of course, we're going to get help from heaven. But we need to believe that we're in a place where we can get help from one another. And we need to believe, we need to, if, if we've got a brother or sister who is, who is needing to be able to pour out their brokenness, we need to be ready for that because who knows how the Spirit of God is going to move through us to help them in their brokenness. So we see him as the Ancient of Days. We see him as having white hair and dressed in such amazing high priest garments and standing in the middle of the candlesticks that symbolize, symbolizes the light of the world. And we understand later that he was standing there in the midst of the church. Well, we all are aware that the church will be in this world for a little while longer. I know people that are praying every day, let it be today, Lord. Let it be for today. I'm praying as soon as possible. I'm going to have a Brother Ace sing a song before too very long. I'm going to make him sweat again tonight. And there's a song that's called, Come on down, Lord Jesus, and take us away. It's a beautiful song. But he cannot come until the Father has decided it is exactly the right time. And everything is in God's plan for his glory and for our joy and for the, 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 for the salvation that needs to pour out of our lives. So in the first chapter, we saw him as the Ancient of Days. In the second chapter, with the, the, uh, the church at Ephesus, we saw him as the love, the one who loved, for God so loved the world. We saw him as the one who, those that had loved him, were beginning to fall away from him. Now then, I'll guarantee you that if you were in here and you were in a love relationship, a real love relationship with anybody and they began to fall away from you, you would do anything in your power to get their attention and to woo them back to you. And that's the way we see in, in the church at Ephesus. He is wooing the church. And the church responded to him, though they were falling away from him. They responded to him and 
A hundred years after the, the revelation was written, we see Jesus as the one who woos the church and individuals back to himself. And today, maybe you know someone who needs to be wooed to Jesus. And you, if, you, you would, if you thought it would do any good, you would just beat the living daylights out of them so that you could chase them into his arms. You can't do that. But he can arrange things so that he can woo the church, he can woo the individual, he can woo us back to himself. And Ephesus was a strong, vibrant church, not for just the first century, but on into the second century and into the third century. And it was a strong, vibrant church for a long, long time because he told them that they needed to, um, to uh, repent and to... Uh, to, to remember where they have, from where they had fallen. And he, he wasn't saying that you're going to have to get up and get yourself cleaned up and come back to me. He was doing it like this. Don't you know where you've fallen with an outstretched hand? And we want to know that our God tonight has an outstretched hand for each one of us in the impossible things. And the, the next church, which is the church of uh, Smyrna, we find out that Jesus here is being portrayed as the God who never forsakes his people in any of their trials and sufferings. Tonight in our prayer time, we had some wonderful things from Brother Tom Harmon who was telling us about what has happened for his father. His father has suffered this last year quite a bit. And I mean suffered tremendously, but his father was, kept his face and his eyes on Jesus. And tonight we rejoice at the end of our prayer time by being able to hear about how that they've recently told his father some of the most wonderful news about what has happened in his body whenever they weren't sure that there was anything good that could happen in his body. They told him as far as they can tell right now, he is, I, I know Tom, I'm stealing a little bit of your thunder and I apologize for that, but that he is cancer free. Yeah, we want to thank God for that. Now then, what is the impossibility that you're facing and that you're suffering through? I don't know. If you want to share it with me, I'll be glad to give you a, a, an arm to lean upon, a, a shoulder to cry upon. I'll be glad to do that for you because as part of the church, it's not just because I'm a pastor. But because as part of the church, we need to bear one another's burdens. And we see Jesus here speaking tenderly in those verses that have to do with Smyrna from about verse uh, 8 down to verse uh, 11, and he's speaking tenderly to them and basically saying, I know what's going to happen. I know how things are going to work for you. And he's reminding them of the Old Testament where God said to them, I will never, never leave you and I will never, never forsake you. And in the New Testament in chapter 13 of Hebrews where again those words are spoken again to us that he will never, never, and you say, well, I, I, I'm glad he's with me, but I just wished he'd bring me out of this. Well, where we understand that though Smyrna suffered much, he brought them through everything. And tonight we're going to be looking at the church that is at Pergamum, or Pergamos, and we're going to start in verse 12 of the uh, Revelation, the second chapter, verse 12. And to the angel of the church, and I'm going to read all the way through the six verses that have to do with Pergamum, and then we'll come back and hit some of the highlights and see what's going on here. To the angel of the church of Pergamos, write. This would be the messenger, the one who's going to bring a message to the, um, to the people who are living in 
Pergamos, and we say it because in the English, that's the kind of ending we would put on a word. But the word in the Greek is actually Pergamum. And it says, to the angel of the church and Pergamon, write, these things says he that has the sharp sword with two edges. Can any of you tell me where that scripture is found in, in the Bible where it talks about uh, the, something being like a sharp two-edged sword? Wee! I'm telling you what, that man right back there has got a strong voice. It carried well. And he said, Hebrews 4.12. And in Hebrews 4.12, we hear that the word of God is a sharp two-edged sword and we hear about some of the things it's able to do without destroying. Now I want you to know something. It takes somebody that knows how to wield a sword properly to keep from destroying. But I'm, we're going to find out that this two-edged sword is going to want, be one that Jesus is going to use and when he finally has to, He's going to deal very, very deliberately and harshly with that two-edged sword. And tonight, nobody here has to worry about what that two-edged sword could possibly do to us. Because he's going to deal very delicately with us. And Facebook family, Facebook friends, God wants to deal delicately with you and be with you in these times. And so it says here, let me read now these things. I know your works. Verse 13, I know where you dwell, even where Satan's seat is or where his throne is, and that you hold fast my name and has not denied my faith. Even in those days where in Antipas, do you remember there was a, a man by the name of Herod Antipas? Some of you all might remember that there was one of those Herods that was called that. You're going to find out what Antipas means tonight. Wherein, and this is not Herod Antipas, this is a different man, and all we know is just a few words about him, and he's like the unknown man who gave his life to Jesus. And in those days wherein Antipas, my faithful martyr, who was slain among you, where Satan dwells. Now I want you to know something, if you don't have Jesus, Satan dwells with you. He owns you. He'll use you in any way that he chooses and he desires. If you don't want to be owned by evil, you need to be owned by grace, by good, by the glory of God. But I have a few things against you. Now I want you to know there are two churches. Smyrna, he had nothing against them. And there's one more church that we'll find out that he did not have very much against them either. But I have a few things against you, Pergamum, because you have... They're them that hold the doctrine of Balaam. Do you remember the story about Balaam? He was the one that they sent for to come and curse the children of Israel. Well, cursing was not the doctrine that we're talking about here. I'll get to that in a few seconds. You have them that hold to the doctrine of Balaam, who taught Balak to cast a stumbling block before the children of Israel and to eat things sacrificed to idols and to commit fornication. And so we want, to, we want to get back to that as quickly as possible. In verse 15 it says, And you also have, so there's one thing, is the doctrine of Balaam. And you also have them that hold to the doctrine or the teaching of the Nicolaitans, which thing I hate. Now we want to know that God so loves the world, and he loves us, but there are things that he hates. Can anybody tell me anything that you know of tonight that God hates, and every one of us have a problem with it? Sin. God hates sin. 
And so we want to know what it is about the Nicolaitans that he says what they are doing that he hates. And then it says in verse 16, Repent, or else I will come unto you quickly, and I will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. And he said, I will fight against those who teach the doctrine or the teaching of Balaam, and I will fight against those who teach the, the doctrine of the Nicolaitans. And here he's saying, I will not be tender with them. And you want to think, hmm, have I managed to get myself into the doctrine of Balaam or into the doctrine of the Nicolaitans? Or do I know somebody who's involved in the doctrine of Balaam or in the doctrine of the Nicolaitans? And so we want to think that about, I will come and I will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. And then in the last verse we're going to read this evening, and we're not finished in case some of you all are saying the last verse we get to go home because we're going to come back through it. Verse 17, he says, He that has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says unto the churches. To him that overcomes will I give to eat the hidden manna. Now then, whenever they were in the wilderness for those many years, 40, they ate manna. Manna came down from heaven for them every night, and they went out and picked it up in the morning. I will give to eat of the hidden manna. Do you know who this is talking about, being able to, to partake of the very essence of? It's talking about Jesus himself. He said, I am the bread of life. The, my, the God gave your fathers manna in the wilderness, but he said, I am the bread of life. So we get, to, we get to partake of the nourishment of belonging to Jesus. And we'll give to him a white stone, and in this stone a new name written. This is an amazing thought. When we get to it tonight, I, I hope that you're amazed at thinking about the white stones. We have about four things that we're wanting to look at tonight and think about. Facebook family, I sure hope that y'all are enjoying this teaching on Revelation. I think that Revelation gives us a, an opportunity to see Jesus from a new viewpoint every time we look through a portion of the scripture that's in it. We need to see Jesus as the Ancient of Days. We need to see him as the God who has such a tremendous love. And we need to see him as the God whenever times are tough. He has said, I will never, never leave you. And I will never, never, never forsake you like he did to Smyrna. And then whenever he said that to them, he said, because one day you're boldly going to stand up. And you're going to proclaim, it just doesn't matter what man or anything that might happen to me. Smyrna suffered a lot of things. And they were going to be able to boldly say, it doesn't matter what happens to me because the Lord has held me up and been my helper all the days of my life. So let's get into the scripture tonight. Let's pray about this first. Father, would you bless these words to our hearts? And would you bless us tonight as we look into the scripture one more time? And we're going to be doing it all the way through Revelation if that's what you want, and we're wanting to be able to see Jesus in a new light. So we'll start off in verse, amen, we'll start off in verse 12, and the angel of the church of Pergamos write these things, which uh, things saith he which has the sharp sword with two edges. Now that it's the word, and the word is able to accomplish things when done, whenever Jesus uses it, that we'll be able to take care of deep problems in your heart and in my heart and in the hearts of those around us. That's why we must love speaking the word. Now we have to be very careful because if we speak the word in condemnation, we're actually trying to take the sword and to be able to hack at somebody. We have to speak the word as though Jesus himself were speaking the word. And if we can, all we can do is whisper the word to ourselves 
so that we can speak it to Jesus and say, Jesus, please use the word on this person. That's a good place to start whenever you're speaking the word. And it says, I know your works and where you dwell. He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High. Have you all ever heard that scripture before? Here recently in these COVID times, we have been having people who have spoken that word to us many times over. And that's from Psalms. Which Psalm is that from? Thank you very much, Gloria. That's marvelous. Was it you or was it somebody else? Because I can't see. I thought it was your voice. Psalms 91. He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High. And it says, and I know where you dwell. Are you aware that you're dwelling in the secret place of the Most High tonight? That being in that place is a place of comfort. It's a place of healing. We're going to get into healing tonight when we talk about what Pergamum was all about. And so I know your works and where you dwell. And I even know where Satan's throne is. Well, you know what most people would do if they had to dwell where Satan's throne was? They would get away from it as quickly as possible. But the Christians that were living in Pergamum did not have the substance to be able to move to another place. Not like America. In America, people are moving all the time. Even in the COVID times, people are moving all the time. But in Pergamum, they, did, they were like they were in Smyrna. In Smyrna, they lived, many of the Christians lived in abject poverty. Yet Jesus said to the church at Smyrna, But you are rich in the eyes of heaven. I've got, got more that I could say about that by going to Laodicea. But I'm only going to stick with the things that there are here in these scriptures. And I know that you hold fast my name. You hold it. You grasp it. You do not let go of my name. Do you know that Jesus talks about being able to uh, grasp us and to hold us? And he talks about it whenever he talks in the, the uh, 10th chapter of John. And he says, uh, and those that God has given to me... I, hold, I, have, I have in my hand, and no man is able to pluck them out of my hand. Well, how is that possible? Have you ever seen these people that have got really quick hands, and if you hold something out, they can take it out before you can get your hand closed? Well, they can't do it if you're doing like this. And this is the way Jesus holds you in his hand. No man is able to pluck you out because he has held on to you. And he's, he's bragging on them here, and he's saying, you hold on to the name that is above Every name. Is there anybody here that tonight that would like to be able to say the name that is above every name? Would you say it with me? Let's say it with me. Jesus. Say it one more time. Jesus. Do like this like you're holding on. You're not going to turn it loose. Jesus. Amen. Is that you hold on to my name and you have not denied my faith. Did you know that Jesus had faith? You say, well, I thought that was what I was doing. No. That's the portion of faith that's been given to you. Why do you think he went to the cross? Because he had faith in what God was going to be able to accomplish with him offering himself up. Why do you think that we should, we should want to hold on to uh, have not denied his faith? Why do you think we shouldn't deny his faith? Because we want to have confidence in what he's going to do because of what Jesus has done and what he's going to do in my and in your life and in the lives of those who belong to you. <clears throat> and then he goes on from there and he says, Even in those days 
wherein Antipas, and Antipas is an interesting name. How many of you know what the name Antipas means? I know some of y'all have phones out there and you could have been looking it up. And I don't care if you use your phone in here or not. I mean, as long as you're not, you don't have the music turned up real loud. But that's okay. So Antipas means against all. Against all. And that's what he, how he had to live his life. As a faithful witness, the word martyr in the Greek did not mean one who was willing to die. It meant whenever, it, up until the first century, it meant one who stood up and said, this is the absolute truth. This was a witness. And because of what Antipas knew, everybody in positions of authority was against him. And he had to be against all of them. Speaking the words of truth that he was able to speak. Do you ever feel like that everything in the world is against you? Yeah, there's some days that it's like that. Then you know how Antipas felt until the last of his days whenever he had to give up. He had to give up his life. He said, my faithful martyr who was slain among you where Satan dwells. So the, the, the throne of Satan was, and those that dwell in the hearts of, uh, that, uh, that Satan dwells in the hearts of, they had taken him and they had, they had given him the opportunity to renounce the truth. And he said, I cannot renounce the truth. I must speak to the truth. I must testify of the truth. I have seen it. I know it. And that's why he lost his life. That's all we know about Antipas. He's just given here three or four or five or six or seven or eight words. He appears on the scene and he's gone. And yet we want to say, am I willing to be a witness for Jesus? And now in, a, in a, the churches in America today, witnessing means something different than it meant in the in the times of the Bible, because in the times of the Bible, it meant just standing up and speaking the truth that you know. Just telling the truth. And I know the tr what the truth is tonight. I know who is the way, and who is the truth, and who is the life. How many of y'all know who the way, the truth, and the life is? That's just about everybody. Everybody here knows that it's, knows that it's Jesus. And then he goes on in verse 14, and he says, But I have a few things against you, because you have there... Those that hold to the doctrine of Balaam. Let's get ready and go through the story of Balaam quickly so I can give you a thumbnail sketch. Because most of y'all should remember this from Sunday school or other messages that you've heard. The children of Israel have spent almost 40 years in the wilderness. They're getting ready to go from the deep, driest parts of the desert, the Sinai Desert, up into and through a few nations in their their coastal areas where there, there's also a desert in that area. They're getting ready to go up through that area. As they're going through, Balak, who is a, a leader of one of those nations, has decided that he's going to resist them. And so he knows a man named Balaam. And Balaam is a prophet that can find out all the evil that there is about someone and can bring a curse on them because he knows about their evil. Did you all know that there are people in the church that look for the evil that there is there so that they can bring curses into being? Now, then I, uh, uh, years ago, we had a couple that was here that was the sweetest couple that I ever really had been around very much in my life. And whenever they decided to leave Liberty Baptist Church because they were driving 40 or 50 miles to come here 
every Sunday and, and Sunday night. They were coming here all the time. And whenever they left, they told me, they said, we're sure going to miss this place. It's been such a sweet, sweet spirit here. But the gift that God has given to us, we've never had the opportunity to use here. And I thought, wow, did they want to speak in tongues? Did they have a word of knowledge? Did they have a, have a word of wisdom? Did they have some ability to do administrative work and we haven't let them do something like that? I mean, there are a lot of different gifts that we could have talked about. And so I said, well, which gift did God give to you? And they said, well, we have the gift of uncovering hidden sin. And I thought, dear God in heaven, years they have been here, and they didn't see the hidden sin? Well, this must not be a gift that was working very well, and if they were uncovering it, you know what they were doing with what they were uncovering, don't you? They were cursing it. And as marvelous as they were, I remember thinking, oh, Lord, save them from that type of work. Because when they uncover hidden sin, what, we, what I want, I want sin to be covered. Amen? And so we find here that he called for this man, Balaam, who would come down. He would find out about all the sin of, the, of God's people. He would go up on a high mountain. He would then curse them by naming off all of their sins. He got down there. He went up three different places to try to curse the people. And you know what, what happened every time that he went up to curse them? God said, don't you do it. They belong to me. You will say nothing about the, the problems that they have, about the, the, the heart problems that they have. You will not do it. And every time he tried to do it, he could not do it. And we need to believe that if someone belongs to Jesus, that we need to say to Jesus, thank you, God, that, that, that the curse cannot have them unless they, do, they say, I want to be cursed. Because I'm going to tell you, there's a lot of people who are willing to be cursed. They just feel like that's part of their life. Well, you don't know what my life is like. It's like I've been cursed all of my life. No, you have not. You have the opportunity to choose the blessing. And so we see here that, that uh, Balaam went out and he tried to curse them. I mean, he had made sure that they paid him good money before he went down there. And he didn't have to give it back whenever he, went, whenever he left back. And so he said, you know, I cannot curse them, but I can tell you how to make their God angry with them. And they said, well, tell us how to make, help, tell us what to do to be able to make their God angry. And he said, well, teach them to eat things sacrificed to idols. What he's doing here is not saying that it's wrong for them to eat stuff that has been sacrificed to idols, but go ahead and have them come when they make their sacrifices, make their sacrifices with them that are making sacrifices to other gods, and let them mingle their sacrifices with those sacrifices to other gods. Do you see how they're mixing themselves with the ways of the people who are doing evil? And in some ways they were saying, well, if it's all right for us to mingle them together, then surely God's not going to be angry with us if we just actually do a little bit of worshiping their gods too. And you can say, well, how did they get them to do that? Well, that's the second part, to commit fornication. Balak sent out the loveliest of the uh, women and the most amazing of the men to entice their men and their women to come out and to uh, join them in uh, their feasts and to eat meat that had been sacrificed to idols and to become involved with them in relationships. And because God had said, do not be involved with any of these nations, God had to deal very harshly with his own people. 
So this was the, the doctrine, the teaching of Balaam, telling people that it's okay, it's all right, it's okay, you can go ahead and do that. God doesn't, doesn't mind, are you still worshiping God? Well, there will be a day whenever you're not worshiping God anymore. And because you'll eventually get to where that you don't think that it really matters which God that you, that you worship. And that was what the, the doctrine of Balaam got, uh, was. And Jesus said, if you don't get that taken care of, I will come with my two-edged sword and I will deal harshly with anybody who's involved with any of that. And then the next thing was the doctrine of the Nicolaitans. And the doctrine of the Nicolaitans had to do with making a difference between one part of the body of Christ and another part of the body of Christ. Because the Nicolaitans believed that it was alright for some of people to be considered to be super saints. And others considered to be, well, almost saints. And you know you always treat the super saints better because, wow, they're so much, they've got so much more on the ball than the almost saints. And this was very disturbing to God that there was a difference in the way people were being treated in the body of Christ. And Jesus said, I'll come and deal harshly with those people that make a difference between how people are treated within the body of Christ. I don't know, have you been around Liberty Baptist Church and you've seen very many times where people are treated differently? And if you have, then we need to take it to the throne of God. And we especially need to take it to the throne of God during these impossible times that we're, we're dwelling in right now. Because I don't want God to come and have to deal, or Jesus to come and have to deal using that sharp two-edged sword on any of us here at Liberty Baptist Church. How do you feel about that? Amen? Or you say, well, it would be all right with me. Which one do you want? Amen or all right? That's what I figured. Amen's much better than all right. So we see that's what he said about them. And he says, repent, change your mind, have a change your mind, or I will come unto you quickly, and I will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. Jesus, I need for what the word can do, can do in me. You said that it will accomplish what you want. I know that you all know where this scripture is, but I'm going to say it one more time so we can go there real quickly. Sheila, we need to go to Isaiah 55, 11, and look at that very quickly so we can see it one more time. Because in Isaiah 55, 11, God says, So shall my word be that goes forth out of my mouth. Oh, is that kind of like, the, like the, uh, the, the, the sword of my mouth that we talked about in verse 16? Yes. So shall my word be that goes forth out of my mouth. It shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please. I want you to know something. When God's pleased, I think everybody gets pleased in some way. And we need to ask God to use that word on us as, as it is done there. And it shall prosper in the thing where I send it. I'm telling you what, America is living in a time where thousands of people that had had their own businesses that they will never have again. And we need to believe in the fact that God still has plans just because of his word to prosper people's lives. And to be with those people that are in that impossibility. So now then to the last verse, so we can get ready to close down. Now, did did y'all think I could get to the last verse this quick? I don't know, Phil, how long you're going to be there. Probably not very long. Let's look and see what it says. It says, he that has an ear, let him hear. Everybody reach up to your right earlobe right here. And do like uh, Carol Burnett used to do. Yeah, that's what you want to do. And so, he that has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. How do we know that we have an ear to hear? 
Well, there's two things that have been done to every person who comes in for a sacrifice in Israel. There was blood that was applied to the right ear. So we know that sins have been taken care of. And there was oil that had been applied to the right ear. So that the Holy Spirit would enable that person to have the sins that they had heard. Do you remember what it said about Lot? That he vexed his righteous soul by what he saw and by what he heard. Do you know how much we're vexed in America today? Just by what we hear? There's sometimes that I've got the, the, my, the radio in my car on and I think, turn it off. I can't stand listening to that anymore. I'm not just talking about the things that they're, that they're um, uh, saying on talk radio or anything like that. I'm talking about the things that the music's actually, uh, that says in the music. I don't want to hear that. I don't want to be vexed in that way. But the Holy Spirit does not vex us. It comforts us. And so if I've been comforted, I'm going to be able to hear what the Spirit has to say. He that has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says unto the churches. To him that overcomes. How do we overcome? We overcome by trusting in the overcomer. The one who did all the overcoming on the cross. Are you trusting in the overcomer tonight? Then you will overcome. To him that overcomes, will I give to eat of the hidden manna. We talked about how Jesus is the bread of life. And will give him a white stone. And in that stone, a new name will be written on it which no man knows, saving he that receives it. Now I want you to know that at that time, people had done extraordinary deeds among the Greeks and the Romans could be given a white stone. Those who were made acceptable by those who would, would investigate them to find out if they were worthy to be a part of their club. You ever been investigated to see whether you're worthy to be a part of a club? Well, I will guarantee you that you have been whatever club that you belong to. You've been investigated in some way because they've got to know whether they want to have you or not. Well, in the ancient times, they used to give them a white stone that said, you're accepted. And Jesus has a white stone to give to you that says, no matter where you are, no matter what has happened to you, you're accepted. But that white stone could also mean something else. If you had done something extraordinary, and I'm going to tell you what the extraordinary thing is that we get to do here in a few seconds. If you'd done something extraordinary, you could have a white stone that would be given to you that any time there was a gathering of people, you did not have to pay to get into that gathering. If there was a feast going on, you could go and take your white stone and you got to go in and have as much as you wanted. I guess that's kind of like going to, to, the, uh, to a buffet somewhere and being able to eat all that you want to eat and getting it for free. If there was, a, if there was a, uh, a time for a special meeting of people that were uh, considered to be the very best of the best, that white stone would mean you were always invited to be a part of that special meeting. You were considered to be part of the elite. I'm not sure in America that's a good thing to be considered to be a part of. I remember whenever I was growing up, everybody wanted to be part of the, the elites. But I'm thinking that in America today, I'd much rather be a part of Jesus' body than to be a part of anything else. So anyway, getting that white stone got you immediate admission to all the best things in that city. And then you had a name that was written therein, which no man knew except the one that received it. And that name was the name that said, you're going to make it past the final 
the finish line. And when you make it past the finish line, you're going to have all of the blessings that you a little bit enjoyed here supplied for you when you step into the very presence of God. You can say, well, how do we get that white stone? We get that white stone by leaning on what Jesus has done. We don't get the white stone by leaning on what we've done. What we've done will never be enough. But we get the white stone by leaning on what Jesus has done because it's set up here. You have not denied my faith back in verse 13. Back in verse 13 it says here, And you have not denied my faith, and Jesus had faith that enabled him to do all the things that I needed to have done for me. So that when in my weakness, his strength can be made perfect. And you say, well, how do I do that then? Well, you say, here I am, Lord. I give myself into your grasp. And we're going to now all stand, and we're going to sing the song, He touched me, because I am safe in his grasp. Are you safe in Jesus' grasp tonight? So in, in Ephesus, we see the, one, the, the, the love going back to woo those who have fallen away from, or the one that has fallen away from him. In Smyrna, we see the, the Jesus as the one who is able to, uh, to, uh, uh, to always be with the sufferers so that they are comforted in their suffering. And here in, in Pergamum, we see the one who is able to keep us. And I, there's one more thing that I haven't brought out yet, Paul. I can do this in two minutes. Pergamum was one of the greatest places in all of the Roman Empire where you went for healing. Because the god uh, Asclepos, uh, Asclepos post, was the god that was worshipped there. And they had all the latest uh, medical... Uh, kind of like MD Anderson or the Mayo or, or the great medical places that there are in America. They were all there in Pergamum. And the, the, the best place to go was the place where they said, you'll come in and you'll lay all night upon the floor because the, the Asclepos, he, what, have you all ever seen the symbol for, for medicine where there, there is a snake that's wrapped around a staff? Well, you would go in and lay on the floor of the temple all night long, and they would flood the temple with snakes. And they said, if the snake touched you, you knew that you were going to get a good blessing. And if the snake would actually crawl over you, you knew that you were going to get everything that you needed, then you, that your body had need of. Well, I'll guarantee you, that old snake, the serpent, isn't going to give you what you need. But Jesus is, and it's going to be because he touched me. Everybody stand up and let's sing this beautiful song. Shackled by a heavy burden Neath a load of guilt and shame In the hand of Jesus touched the same. He touched me. Oh, he touched me. And oh, the joy that floods my soul. Something happened 
And now I know He touched me and made me whole. Think about that. Being touched by the tender nail scarred hand where he's going to get a hold of you and never turn you loose. Or being touched by a slithering snake. Which would you rather take an opportunity to trust in tonight? Facebook family, what about you? If I could tell you you could be healed and I fight you to just let me bring 50 snakes over and turn them loose in your house. I don't think any of you'd want that. I don't think any of y'all would be willing to do that unless you were absolutely desperate. But I hope you're desperate enough to trust in Jesus. Anybody want to say amen? amen? Let's bow for prayer. Father, thank you for this opportunity to be together in Jesus' name tonight and to trust in Jesus. Because we want to know healing belongs to us because of our great physician. In Jesus' name, amen.